The spring legislative session is nearing the finish line. What can we expect in the final few weeks? The Capital News Illinois team is here to discuss all that in this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock, and I'm joined today by Andrew Adams, Nika Schoonover, and of course, our Statehouse Bureau Chief, Jerry Nowicki. There are just three weeks left before the General Assembly is scheduled to adjourn, but that, of course, depends on them being able to put together a budget for the upcoming fiscal year, which begins July 1st. And in just a couple of days, we should get a clearer picture of how much money the state will have to work with. Jerry, we're now at the end of April. Can you talk a little bit about why the April revenue report is so important and what are we expecting to see in that report? Yeah, so it's the April revenue report is uh, plays a major role in not only the current fiscal year to see, you know, year end, are you going to meet last year's uh, or or whatever the current year revenue estimate or but it also can sort of define the financial picture as to where things are going uh, in the upcoming fiscal year, which then um, changes the re- uh, revenue estimates that the fiscal forecasting agencies of the legislature and the governor are working on, and which would you know drastically change the amount of money that lawmakers are available to spend. And one of the interesting things to me um, was that Revenue Director David Harris was before a committee Wednesday, and he said definitively, I can say without hesitation that there will not be an April surprise. So the, one of the reasons this fiscal year um, had so much, there was so much extra money uh, to put towards the rainy day fund, towards pensions, towards tax uh, relief, was because of last April had such a strong performance. But uh, he says we see a year-over-year decrease uh, likely to happen this year. But it's it's not a you know uh, sky is falling scenario is a term he used. It's certainly not that he said uh, it's going to be basically the second highest revenue year of all time for the state of Illinois. Um, and it's uh, there's there's still going to be a lot of money available. It's just not going to be much greater a pie than what the governor uh, anticipated when he put out his budget proposal in February. Okay, and so a lot of people have been expecting revenues to grow because they've been growing uh, for the last couple of years, um, and there's a lot of competition out there for any new money that might be available. A big area of the budget, of course, is health and human services, and that includes everything within Medicaid, including uh, not just basic health care, but also uh, home and community-based services for the elderly and the disabled. Uh, some people were really, I guess, hoping for a strong revenue report and maybe some rate increases there. Uh, what's going on? What's the likelihood, you think, uh, in all these different service provider categories getting rate rate increases? Right. So I don't. I doubt any of them will really get the full rate increase that they're asking for. Um, but you know, there's, you know, the, the question right now that lawmakers and the governor are asking is who can we give what uh, based on the size of the pie we have? And 
uh, it recently came out. Uh, there was an end of March presentation that the, the Department of Healthcare and Family Services gave to lawmakers that essentially said they expect uh, healthcare expansion of Medicaid benefits to non-citizens to cost almost one billion dollars this year. That is seven hundred and sixty-eight million dollars beyond. Uh, the estimate that they had for that program in the current fiscal year. It's costing way more than they expected. And actually, when they approved the first expansion of those benefits in fiscal year 2021, uh, the administration told me it just didn't have an estimate. It was relying on some things that advocacy groups or lawmakers had talked about. It wasn't the governor's priority at that time. It was something included at the request of lawmakers. So they just didn't know what it was going to cost. And now it's costing a billion dollars. So what that means is that's going to crowd out the type of human services funding available to other organizations like, say, rehabilitation facilities, community community settings for uh, individuals with developmental and intellectual disabilities, they want an increase for the providers that are providing that care because roughly 25% of those positions statewide aren't filled. Um, they want it brought up to 150% of the minimum wage, but now you know the available funding for that is probably hundreds of millions of dollars less because this program is costing so much more than uh, estimates had suggested. And uh, the state is also under a consent decree uh, when it comes to uh, providing uh, home and community-based services to people with uh, developmental disabilities. Is that right? Yeah. And so that... They've essentially been out of compliance with that for about six years. Uh, they're just not providing the level of services and the level of placements for individuals. Um, the Supreme Court in 1999 said it was a right for those individuals to have placement in the community outside of a large state-run setting uh, or segregated setting away from the normal uh, population. So essentially, uh, they've been out of compliance with that for six years and um, the providers say, you know, for us to be able to provide this level of service, we have to have people for us to be able to keep those people. They have to make uh, far more above the minimum wage than uh, providers are currently able to offer with the current reimbursement rates. OK, well, we will be watching that in the coming weeks to see where it lands. Uh, in the meantime, Andrew, want to turn to you. Uh, you've been following energy policy uh, a lot this session. Uh, can can you talk a little bit about what you expect to see in terms of uh, maybe nuclear policy or wind energy, things like that? Sure thing, Peter. Uh, there are two kind of energy-related bills that I'm watching in the final weeks of session. The first one is uh, Senate Bill 76, which is now in the House, and it would lift a moratorium on the construction of new nuclear facilities. It passed with bipartisan support uh, in committee, uh, both in the House and in the Senate, and of course passed in the Senate. Uh, so I'll be watching to see how that gets handled in the House in the next few weeks. It is a bit divisive as it does not have support from environmental groups that are traditionally aligned with uh, kind of democratic energy policy, but it did have, you know, support from, you know, a mix of Republicans and Democrats in the Senate. Okay. Uh, and, you know, uh, a lot of people have changed their uh, viewpoint about nuclear energy since the 1970s and the 80s, uh, especially as we're now seeing uh, climate change become such a pressing issue. Uh, 
there are dangers with it, of course, but uh, there are many more dangers with putting carbon in the air. Uh, so is the environmental community kind of split over that issue? Exactly. Um, the largest environmental groups in the state are pretty firmly opposed to lifting this moratorium. And, and that mostly comes from the fact that Illinois and the nation doesn't have a method for long-term disposal of nuclear waste. Th these are the kind of spent fuel rods that currently live in either pools of water or in concrete casks next to the nuclear facilities they you know, are used at. And they remain radioactive for upwards of tens of thousands of years. The advocates of the current bill going through the General Assembly say that you know, that kind of disposal and storage, while still obviously necessary, will be less necessary with the new generation of nuclear facilities, um, which are hey, you're talking about these smaller kind of modular things that are built to run maybe a major factory, but not an entire city. Exactly. And these, um, you know, the, the designers of these say that they're much safer, so they're less likely to have any kind of um, meltdown or, you know, dangerous single event. And they also use less fuel, right? So depending on how you look at it, it might be less of a risk for the communities around these new facilities. Okay, and what about wind energy? Is there any movement on that? Yeah, so there is a bill that was approved uh, in the House uh, that would create a funding and a regulation scheme for an offshore wind farm in Lake Michigan. It's a project of um, Representative Marcus Evans and Senator Robert Peters, and it's currently sitting in the Senate and it did not get a committee hearing this week, which surprised me. Uh, so it mm -hmm. will have to have um, some creative procedures to get it back to life. Although, you know, I've been told that, you know, the folks involved are optimistic about it having a chance this session. We'll see how the cards shake out for it. Okay, very good. And now I want to turn to Nika Schoonover. She has been with us as our public affairs reporting intern from the University of Illinois Springfield. Uh, Nika, you've been writing about uh, some issues related to education, including the possibility that the state of Illinois might start requiring some amount of Native American history to be taught. What's the status of that bill? Yeah, so that bill would require that public elementary and high schools teach a unit of Native American history in their social studies curriculum, beginning with the 2024 to 2025 school year. Um, most recently, that bill passed out of a Senate, Senate committee with a 10 to 3 vote and will now head to the Senate for full consideration. While the bill does not specify what will be taught in the unit, the Illinois State Board of Education would provide instructional materials and guidelines for the development of the curriculum, though each school district would be required to develop it on their own. And it does create some guidelines for the content in which would be in the unit. So it would include Native American contributions in government and the arts, humanities and sciences, as well as other contributions of Native Americans to the economic, cultural, social and political development of their own nations and of the U.S. All right. And another issue I think you've, you've been following 
has to do with cyberbullying. Of course, we all know how serious that is and how dangerous it can be. Uh, what does the Illinois General Assembly want to do along those lines? Right now, they're considering a bill that would tie in anti-bullying protocols in Illinois schools. And while it addresses bullying in the broad sense, it does target cyberbullying because of a requirement in the bill that would require schools to make diligent efforts to notify parents or guardians of students involved in a bullying incident within 24 hours of the school administration becoming aware of it. And that point has been uh, a point of contention for particularly school administrators, the Illinois Principals Association in particular, who are worried that the 24-hour notice requirement will create a, an unnecessary burden for school administrators and faculty. And their suggestion instead is to have that 24 hours be within a school business day. However, the bill would make it so even on a weekend or outside of school hours, that 24 hour time limit would apply. All right. Very good. Well, that will have to do it for this edition of Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation with significant funding from the Robert McCormick Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock on behalf of the Capital News Illinois team saying stay safe and thank you for listening.